Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the study uh, that we're doing. Of, uh, right now we're in the book of John. We've been working through the New Testament together, and uh, we have uh, completed Matthew and Mark. We skipped Luke. We're doing John. When we're done with John, we're going to go back and get Luke. And then we're going to do Luke and Acts in one big long stretch because they go together. So uh, I'm looking forward to us continuing to make progress, and then we'll go from there. Like I said, it's a five-year journey. We are uh, 68 weeks into it, I think. Yeah, it seems to go by pretty quick. It does for me, anyway. Uh, But like I said, five years of this, 15 years for the Old Testament. Who's with me? There you go. That's what I'm talking about. And then, uh, and then we'll do it all over again. <laughs> so I have the next 39 years mapped out of Wednesday nights. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if it worked like that? That's a long time. Okay. Um, so the book of John, we're into chapter 19 today. We looked at 18 the last time we were together, and uh, I should mention, Barry, thank you for taking care of last week, buddy. Barry did a good job. I always hear he does a good job, and uh, thank you, Barry. Back there now. I appreciate you stepping in. And uh, I went up and visited Williston, our folks up there, and uh, have a nice group up there meeting, and they'll be watching this. Hi, people in Williston. Good to see you. Um, very exciting. We're about to take that meeting that's been on Wednesday nights, uh, in, and we've been meeting in a home this whole time, and we, starting June 1st, are going to be, we rented a, like a facility for, when, for midweek still, but we'll move out of the home and into a, 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 a more of a facility-type situation. So we expect that they will continue to grow there. It's kind of outgrown the home now. When you get kind of steady 15, 20, on and off, it's too much for, you need to move along. So uh, that'll be good. And uh, so they're doing good. It was good to be with them and spend that time together. John 18 um, begins the sort of uh, really difficult period uh, of Jesus being arrested. And then in 19, we're going to see him actually, uh, the events that lead up to the crucifixion and uh, the crucifixion and his death. And, um, you know, we looked in those few chapters before 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. We got to see this amazing intimate time that Jesus had with his disciples. And one of the things you need to remember in the book of John is that John is purposely working um, off the difference between light and darkness. And we've seen that throughout the chapters. We saw the, the, the light of the, the grace morality that Jesus brings into the picture versus the, the sort of dark legalism that the Pharisees used to judge everyone. They were contrasted. Um, we, we saw really the light of Jesus as he takes care of his disciples again. And just the way that he ministered to people throughout the book and uh, all the things that happened, we, we see that picture. And then the darkness that uh, was portrayed, unfortunately, primarily by the Pharisees in their opposition to him. But it, it broadens now. The darkness broadens in chapter 19, 18 and 19. And you'll see it really sort of um, how pervasive the darkness really is. And, uh, uh, and yet 
light will peek through at the end. But, uh, you know, chapter 19 is a very difficult book, a bit difficult chapter for me uh, to read because of the graphic detail of what Jesus goes through. And in it, I always am reminded of the fact that he's doing that for me um, because he didn't, if, he's the only one that didn't deserve it and he took it. He took our punishment. And uh, it was the way that we would have life. And, and it's the way that he ultimately defeats darkness. But, but darkness is exposed in chapter 19 in, and 18 and 19 in just this uh, significant way. And I think sometimes we, um, we sort of get used to it um, and, and we don't realize how pervasive the darkness is and the depravity of sin and, and that it's all around us. And, and the less light and truth there is in the world, the more that it prevails, the darkness. And so these are all entwined in this story that, that John is weaving of these events. And uh, we need to be aware of it. So let's go ahead and read um, John chapter 19 uh, together. Um, it's in the notes. There's Bibles on the pews. You want to get them. If you have your own Bible, you can turn to John chapter 19. I read out of the NIV. If you have a different translation, it might sound a little different, but you'll get the point. And let's pick up the action in verse 1, John 19, chapter 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation, a Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And here they crucified him. And with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. 
Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So like I said, that's a, that's a pretty tough passage of Scripture. Um, unless you sort of read it really detached, which I don't think is good. I think it's, I think it's important for us to remember um, the price that was paid for us to have life. Uh, I think it's important for us to know that, that um, we're never to take for granted forgiveness of sin. We're, we're never to take for granted mercy and grace. We're never to, to take it for granted. We're to appreciate it. We're to, we're to know how blessed we are by it. But we're to understand that at, 
at what cost it came. And um, always to, to remember that, that Jesus endured this time for us. He went through what he went through so that we could have life. Because we were the ones that were in trouble. Um, and, and yet, he demonstrates love for us in this manner, that, that he took our punishment upon him. And, and by his doing that, we can have life. And so, um, it's, it's the culmination, as I said, of all these events that are happening. And, and as you read, as we read, you know, the first, uh, the first part of the chapter uh, 19 has to do with this whole thing that Pilate is going through with Jesus. And, and we saw Pilate in chapter 8, and, and he's being pressured by the Jews to have Jesus crucified. The Jews want to kill him as they've been plotting, as we've seen for a long part of Jesus' ministry. We keep talking about we've seen that from the very beginning they decided, amazingly, well, we think what he's doing is from God, but we don't like him, we're going to kill him anyway. Because he's not doing it the way we want. And they've plotted and they've plotted and they've tried to arrest him and they couldn't. Um, because he would just slip away. He wasn't finished. It wasn't his time. But now, the time of his choosing, Jesus has allowed this to happen, and he's, he's been um, arrested and taken in, and, and you know the trials and the false stuff and everything, and they've, they finally got him to Pilate, because Pilate, as the Roman representative, is the only one that has authority to actually carry out a death sentence. Jews can't do it, um, because they are uh, an occupied country at this point by Rome and ultimately um, when Rome occupied a country they would leave pretty much the country intact as far as how it maneuvered itself politically Um, but they would then pay taxes to Rome Rome would put its forces in there to make sure they did what they were supposed to do and they pretty much left them alone unless they contradicted something that the Romans did and, and then they would take care of it but pretty much the people of Israel were allowed to rule themselves and yet they needed permission to take this other step, to have Jesus executed. So it's in Pilate's hands as a Roman representative. Now, his statements in the beginning of the chapter are, are completely true. He keeps saying, there is no basis to, to have Jesus executed. There's absolutely no charge against him. And he's speaking the truth. Rome has, actually, has absolutely no qualms with Jesus, none at this point. They have none. He hasn't done anything to, to Rome. They have no reason for him to not be around. And Pilate gets it. And he says, and this, see, this is the struggle. He's saying, this shouldn't happen. He hasn't done anything. But the, I think ultimately they get him with the, the thing that says um, this. Well, if you let Jesus live, then you're no friend of Caesar's. Because Jesus claims to be a king. And Caesar wouldn't like that. Although there were kings under rule, I don't believe that. But the Caesar at the time was a little wacky, as most of them were. I'm sure Pilate was afraid of him too and anything getting back to him. And so rather than do the right thing, he does the expedient or the easy thing or what seems to be easy at the time. And see, it's another picture of darkness. Because when, when instead of doing the right thing, we do what seems easy or we bend to the will of other folks instead of doing the right thing, that's all part of, of the darkness that, that is the evil one. And it's just evident here in, in the process that that's ultimately what he caves into in this. And in a world without light, when there's no light, what you see is an increase of injustice and fear. And so when you see those places that are just filled 
And we, we see the stories of countries that are filled with injustice and fear. It's because the, the, the light has been is having trouble poking through because of the, the pervasiveness of the darkness. And it's what John is picturing here. And think about um, this, this sort of picture that John paints in the last two chapters of, of what's happening uh, in, as darkness raises its head. Jesus has been betrayed by someone who claimed to be his friend. That's where it all sort of starts. Then Jesus is denied by someone who is his friend because of fear and the darkness. The religious leaders who are actually supposed to be the defenders and supporters of God's truth have actually completely flipped to where they're trying to squash it and kill him in the process. Um, Pilate, who's convinced of Jesus' innocence, allows Jesus to be tortured and crucified. The crowd, who five days earlier had welcomed Jesus in on the, on the sort of uh, huge miracle that had taken place just days before with Lazarus. They had, they had just waved him in. They've completely flip-flopped here at the end. And now they're screaming for his death. And screaming for Pilate to release to them Barabbas, a known murderer, instead of Jesus. It's a, it's a picture of uh, the, the sin nature and, and the depths of depravity of man. It's all sort of pictured here uh, the, in the events that lead up to the crucifixion. And I, I think he, it, it's demonstrated on purpose because, see, because sometimes I think people think, oh, it's really not all that bad. Um, it's that bad. That, that it had to be taken care of and it took a drastic thing to make it happen and it's the cross that introduces light and, and gives us hope and, and can subdue the darkness at some level. And so darkness has it just really... John's painting this picture of, of the, the magnitude and the depth that darkness has uh, that evil has uh, in the world. Now... As we continue on in the stories, you start to move from 23 on into 42. Um, the, the light begins to peek through even before the death and resurrection because of Jesus' actions on the cross. And if you think about it, how amazing it is. See, his love is so intense that he's still caring about people while this is going on. While all these things have happened to him, the beatings, the mocking, the torture, all this stuff has happened He's been nailed to uh, a cross in, in perhaps one of the most barbaric methods of execution they ever came up with. And you read about, you know, how they went to break the legs of the other guys because they didn't die quick enough. They were speeding it up by, by just messing with the, the blood flow. And the, they would lose the, 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 everything would happen so they couldn't breathe. It was horrendous. Um, and so all that's happened, and yet from the cross we, we get information about Jesus caring about and reaching out to the people that are around him. Um, in, in the book of Luke, there's a couple of scriptures that uh, I'll tie into now. But, but even with what's happening, he prays for those who've done this to him, and he actually ministers to one of the guys that is hung with him. Uh, when you think about this, it's crucified with him. You know, how, how he can even begin to relate at that level, and yet he does. Luke twenty three thirty four says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The, the, the guys that had nailed him to this thing. And, and ultimately, I think, 
he's, he's asking for, for all the people that put him there. Forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. And in Luke 23, 43, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, I don't know if we stop to think about what it would be like, and yet he still has this, this is light penetrating the darkness, demonstrating the love of God in these amazing ways. We know from John's writings, as we read that, that, that he um, looks at his mother and says, here's your son, and he, and he looks at the disciple whom he loved and said, here's your mother. And he, he makes arrangements for this situation to carry on and, and to be taken care of. And I mean, it just, it's, it's amazing the, the depth of the love that he demonstrates in the process. And so all this is happening. And then it's, it's time, the end of his earthly ministry. Jesus surrenders his spirit and he dies. Um, it was all on his time schedule. Everything, because it had to be, and 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 so this finally finishes. Now, um, you need to know that he died. Sometimes people try and make things up. We didn't really die; he fainted, um, or he swooned. They have a whole theory called the swoon theory, where rather than try and deal with the the fact that Jesus died and then resurrected, they say, well, he didn't really die; he just sort of passed out, and they stuck him in the tomb, and he woke up a few days later. And then, you know, he just sort of disappeared so nobody could find him, so this whole thing could come on. People believe that stuff, and, and, I, and they think we're silly. <laughs> but, I mean, that's a, that's a tough theory to buy. And I always get back to when people try and pitch that stuff to me, I'd say, well, he was beaten up pretty bad anyway. Where did he go? And, and how did he get out of there? And ultimately, what, what changed his guys? So that's what, when I always, when people start to question, oh, that didn't really happen or whatever, you know these guys that followed him that scattered? They were afraid. They, they, they weren't going to do anything else. You know what I mean? It's not like they were in it for the money. Because um, they were fishermen. They, they, they could have all gone back to what they did. What happens? They all get back and they start doing this stuff again. Why? They saw the resurrected Jesus. They knew what happened. And it finally clicked. Remember this whole time they've been fighting this? And even, even as they wait, we'll see it in the book of Acts. I love it because Jesus has defeated death. He's resurrected. And, and one of the first things that the disciples ask him is, are you at this time going to establish the kingdom? Which is what they'd wanted all along. And I'm sure he just goes, oh my. <laughs> no. But, you know, all this stuff is, is, is taking place. And, and, and we see... The heart of Jesus. And, and so he dies. And he's, he's, he, he, he dies. And then his body is taken by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And it's buried in the tomb. I sort of like the fact that Nicodemus shows up again. Remember we had this discussion about Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. This is the Nicodemus that shows up with Jesus and asks him, you know, what's going on? Because he's a Pharisee. And he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus, so he goes at night. See, he knows something's going on, and at least he has the courage to go and find out. I like that about Nicodemus. And remember his discussion? Jesus, um, we, we looked at this. Jesus talks to Nicodemus, and he says, you must be born again. And he's giving him Old Testament truth that Nicodemus has never put together about new life, which was something that, that was in, the, in, in there if he'd have read it. And, and he, 
he points out to Nicodemus the fact that he needs to be aware of how much he needs a Savior. And then we looked in John 4, and his, reaction, his, his interaction with the Samaritan woman was completely different. Although he gave, gave her the same message, she was well aware of her situation and her sin. She needed to know that she had value and that God loved her. Nicodemus needed to know that he, needed, he wasn't going to make it by the law. He needed help. And my hope is that because he shows up here in this situation, that he figured that out. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe we'll get to meet Nicodemus. I don't know. But uh, he, he might have figured it out. Because I'm not sure why he was showed up. He would have stayed distant, I think. But he shows up in the process. And so, chapter 19 ends. Now, I'm, I'm blessed that we know how it finishes. But for now, that's how it ends. And Jesus is dead. And, and I, I think, I try and figure out what it must have been like. So that's what I think about. How did the people around Jesus feel at that moment? His family, the friends, the disciples that had taken off. What they must have gone through in this period of time. Because now it's, they've got to wait. And, and it looks like darkness has won. But we know it hasn't. But they must have been just overwhelmed at this whole event taking place. And I'm sure they, they just hadn't... Because he kept telling them, don't worry, I'm gonna, it's going to be all right. And they just never heard that because they were still waiting for the kingdom. See, everything that they thought stopped, changed, different. But Jesus is going to defeat death and rise again. And we'll get to that in the next few chapters. All right? Okay. Good enough for today. Thanks for watching. Guys in Williston, we love you. Get prayed for if you need it. We're going to pray for the group here and call it a night. So if you have your prayer requests, pass them up to me, please, and I will pray for you.